Welcome to another episode of Lessons for Tomorrow, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, VP of Strategic Initiatives from AmericanEagle.com. Coming to you from AmericanEagle.com studios, where I am also joined by Ellis. I have Sean and Jason on the line as well. So excited to have a conversation today with three experts in the area. Really, we're going to dive into learning more about this headless approach, uh, really talk about some of the different technologies that are available today. But first, let's start with some introductions from each of our guests. So our most special guest of all is Jason here, a non-AmericanEagle.com member. So I wanted to just let you introduce yourself and talk about your role as founder and just your latest activities of date. <laughs> sure. So my name is Jason Cohen. I, I founded WP Engine 11 years ago. WP Engine is the premier and largest managed WordPress platform. We host over 150,000 customers, nearly a million websites, all on WordPress. And a lot of those are enterprise sites, some of the largest websites in the world. So recently, we've gotten into this whole headless trend, which I think um, you could argue whether it started five years ago or a few years ago for a lot of people. But it is a new trend for sure. And uh, we realize that WordPress has a great role to play in headless architectures. WP Engine has a role to play in general with websites, especially in the enterprise. And so we saw this as a market of evolution that we have to be a part of, and in fact, that we wanted to lead. And so this new product we have, Atlas, is a product in which we take our insights and our knowledge and our experience and bring it to bear with headless WordPress sites. So that's what I'm doing right now, although uh, that will likely be the last you hear of any sort of a <laughs> mention of our product, because I'd love to just talk about headless in general for the publishers, for the developers, and uh, um, this is not this is not a sales pitch, but that is what I'm doing right now. That's where I'm coming from. Awesome. Wonderful. We're so happy to have you here, Jason, today and, and just your background, too. And I'm looking forward to this conversation that we have. And so coming to us from across the pond is Sean Blakely. And with Sean here uh, as part of our WordPress team, Sean, you want to give a quick introduction to everyone listening? Yeah, thanks, Tim. So my name is Sean Blakely. I'm the uh, WordPress technical director here at American Eagle been working with WordPress for well over a decade now, increasingly with enterprise clients. They've been involved with uh, Sage Account and Bacardi and some other big players, indeed some of which are with Jason's WP Engine. So lots of connection with the community and the WordPress community. Now running the WordPress team uh, within American Eagle and driving us forward uh, to increasing enterprise opportunities and relationships. Wonderful. Thanks, Sean. And last but not least is Ellis LeMay in the studio with me and just uh, give a quick introduction for your background as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been with American Eagle now for about six years. Um, when I started off here, you know, it was still at a time when a lot of our clients were looking to use WordPress mostly for smaller blogging applications. Um, and what's been amazing to see over the last few years is how it's grown into much more than that. More than that. And we're now building enterprise level sites. I work every day with Sean and our team to uh, scope projects and execute them for our clients. So, yeah. Wonderful. So now let's just really dig into, and, and we're going to start on uh, technology side of this headless and, and just where headless is at. Headless has been a buzzword for a few years now. And it's one that I think that when it first came out, it was much more on the technical side of the industry for where the excitement really was at with Headless and opportunity. And from my understanding of it, I left development a, a long time ago in my past. And so I'm here to be more of just a, a host and facilitator of conversation. But uh, let's, let's dig into the technical side of it a bit and, and kind of just understand what the true benefits are 
from that headless perspective for a technology, a, a front end developer, a back end developer, whatever you may call yourself now, full stack developer. And really just talk to us guys about how this really is changing the game of the approach that not only you as an individual developer may have, but the benefit for the organization, the benefit of using different platforms that support it, as a lot of them have added headless or are heading into the headless, to use you know a fun little pun there, uh, into that realm of what their product delivers. So I kind of open the floor, whoever kind of wants to jump in and kick us off, that'd be great. I think, you know, from my perspective, one of the biggest distinct advantages is going to be the speed. You know, that's something I'm probably going to loop back around to a lot as we talk through the advantages of headless. And the reason I think that is because, again, kind of working with clients of all sizes, it's interesting how much they all emphasize speed, regardless of size. The, the large enterprise brand sees a threat to speed as a threat to their ability to build relationships with their customers and with their audience. The small organization sees lack of speed as a threat to their ability to grow. So I feel like we've entered an era digitally where no matter what size company you are, or really what you do, speed in your applications has to be the forefront of your considerations. I think that's a very strong point, Alice. It's, it's definitely true. I think also thinking about where like in, in WordPress, certainly in my experience, sort of five, six years ago, we weren't really talking to many enterprise organizations. They were the exception, not the norm. And I think kind of headless and this this thought, this mentality of kind of moving away from these big monolithic platforms. We're looking at sort of Adobe and some of the other CMSs that were in the space. And, and headless kind of opened up those opportunities to start thinking about other CMSs and other platforms in the space. And, and because, it's, as you say, this sort of, it, it tackles performance and really improves performance, but also the security issue that it, it sort of negates and overcomes and the scalability that it introduces, which is where, and we're going to get to WordPress, I'm sure, in a moment, but where kind of WordPress really, I think, came into that conversation around, around headless, because some of those weaknesses or some of those areas that we'd often find ourselves talking about with clients headless kind of started to address some of those and and the marriage of wordpress with headless started to become a really exciting opportunity because it really did address some of those areas that we were often talking about with wordpress jason was that your experience with with wp engine did you see that kind of evolving pattern in the marketplace and in the industry yes and i, I agree with the uh, notion of supporting multiple cmss and speed performance scale security etc um all those aspects of performance absolutely true i think another aspect is what developers are doing with their careers. Developers come out of school now knowing JavaScript, not PHP, not Java. That means they're ready to do things like React and not ready to do things like WordPress and Adobe. Also kids, developers who are maybe also still kids <laughs> they are not right out of school feel the same. The new frameworks where there's huge communities moving fast, doing amazing things are in JavaScript. They're also a little bit in Python, but that's not in the web world. In the web world, it's in JavaScript. And again, you're back to React, Angular, Vue, and the various things that go around them. That's where the innovation's happening. That's where the jobs are. If you look at like who's hiring, where those are, the jobs in React are going up. Jobs in PHP are not. So when you look at it from an individual person's perspective in terms of their career, what should they be investing their time in in the next five or 10 years in terms of languages or frameworks or what's cool and modern, what you know coming out of school or what, what's there anyway, it all points to these new JavaScript-based front ends and it doesn't point to the older CMSs in the back end. Also, you mentioned front end and back end developers. A lot of times people say, I don't wanna be a back end developer. 
I want to be a front end developer and I want the backends to be given to me as APIs so that I don't have to be a back end developer. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. And so in that case, like you, you're even less interested in writing code for some backend, <laughs> right? And you'd rather say, look, I'm, I'm okay being constrained by what the backend provides via API if I don't have to think about it, manage it, work on it, et cetera. So that's another interesting factor. And at the same time, decoupled actually allows people to choose. So let's say you are a backend developer and you work on Adobe, you work on uh, WordPress. Good, you still can. Mm -hmm. You can still control the experience for the marketer, for the publisher. You can build things back there and so forth. You can then expose whatever needs to be exposed to the front end, which may be nothing, or it may be like, like if it's, for example, if it's workflows of how things get published, you know, I write it, you edit it, and this and that and the other thing. That doesn't have to be exposed to the front end at all. And so a backend developer could still work on that just as before. Great. And then if some things need to be exposed, you can do so. Um, but it creates this nice layer or of separation between here's the back end world if and when you need it, and then here's the front end world where you might say all the uh, a lot of the innovation is currently happening. So I think that human factor is maybe the third thing after performance and, and supporting multiple CMSs is a, of driving from the developer's perspective, driving people into this new world. Yeah, absolutely. You brought up a great point there, Jason, too, where the choice of framework, right? It's uh, headless can be handled through a lot, but I'm, I'm glad you brought up the specific discussion around JavaScript and React and Vue and Angular. And I know several directions of developers having chosen a specific language uh, or framework to work within there is, you know, one that may bring challenges if that framework changes, right, with React. And so it, if they chose Angular or Vue and, and so the ability, though, that it's all based upon JavaScript, and you just learn the nuances of that specific one. It's kind of like any other programming language, but it's the speed, I think, that these bring to the ability for these developers to really deliver on what they're building, right? And the opportunity where we're using React a lot internally at our company, and I just see the benefits of that over the way that when I, back in my you know, two decades ago was learning development languages and everything. It was ASP and ASP.net and how specific things were. And, and these just bring so much more flexibility to what your choices are and different libraries that can be utilized. I think that's just huge. But overall, bringing us back to the headless point is just I can very quickly build out a React component and I can place that when whatever channel I need it to be in, as long as it's a web view channel. Our, a lot of our application development is using React uh, Native and, and really crossing the bridge there between where it used to be very native specific development for Android or iOS devices or even Windows apps and starting to bring that to the forefront. And I think it's just an important aspect for when people are going out there and learning about what Headless can do for them on the, the development side is you know that there's going to be some of these different frameworks over the years, but as you adapt through it and as the different Headless approaches come to play, having that background knowledge as a developer in those frameworks is just going to benefit you overall. But you do kind of end up choosing a specific direction, right? You do. Um, but, and I agree. And that, that is one of the big advantages of React over other systems or even, um, you know, including WordPress and so forth, is that componentization, which you're also alluding to. And I mean, this is something that's been true of computer science forever. Like the you know, rise of object-oriented programming was the, was the insight that code that executes things and much of the data that needs to execute upon should be bundled together because that's useful for things like modularity or testing and so forth. And of course, it's not perfect. Uh, we all know that it doesn't like magically solve every problem, but it does solve certain kinds of problems. It does make code more modular, more testable, more reusable than it would have been. It doesn't it's not perfect, but it's more so, and that mm -hmm. more so is good. In a React component, I can bundle together the markup, 
some of the style sheet, some of the behavior, of course, the JavaScript behavior, whether it has its own state, like uh, a simple case would be like a menu that's up or down or an item that's selected or not, this sort of thing. All that stuff can be bundled together into a component and, and reused. So again, like is reuse perfect? Well, it, nothing's perfect, but it, it maybe it's 80-20 or maybe in a simple case, it's perfectly reusable. And in a complex case, hey, at least it's partially reusable. And so that sort of pattern that, of course, we've been doing in computer science forever for managing complex data source, uh, complex code bases, or reusing code at least a little bit, you know, from, um, uh, is great. So I say the, the, the componentization is, is a powerful uh, element there. And then another powerful element that these new systems bring, which the old CMSs don't have, because like WordPress has nothing like what I just said. That just isn't a concept. It's just up to you. So, okay, that, that's a new and, and valuable thing to bring. Another thing I, I think is the fact that there's such an industry around the tools for these things. So for example, when I open up Visual Code Editor, which is free from Microsoft, it's probably the best IDE I've ever used and it's free. So there's a full stop right there. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> anyway, so when I'm using TypeScript and React and JSX, if you're not familiar, are just um, specific, uh, you might say, language specializations or specifications that uh, make JavaScript even more enterprise and, and easier to manage, like adding strong typing and other, and other things like that and certain short, shortcuts. That's also all integrated into the IDE. That means when I start typing some tag, it already knows what it is. When I go to the attributes, it already knows what are possible. And in fact, even though the tag could be code, it even knows the data type that the thing should be. So if I put a string where a number should be, it'll tell me. Um, that's the level of detail that the, or in level of support that the tools like the IDEs around me are doing, or the linting tools that work with all that, or the uh, the uh, unit testing and integration testing tools, which are now actually really good. And they're amazing. Like you set things up and even just downloading a basic package from the internet and insane things happen. I mean, insane for those of us who've been programming for a long time. Like I just hit save in my editor and the website automatically knows which aspects to refresh to see this my change. So whether it's a style change or code change, literally instantly I'm seeing the new change. So the iteration speed of those little changes and in, in development, we know those little iteration changes are very important actually. It may sound small, but it's very important for productivity um, and even delight, even happiness in doing it. Just removing that control R out of the process, even that is actually quite powerful. And so out of the box, like that's happening, unit tests are running, build tools that, that that compress and compact everything so it's still efficient at runtime. These things all happen for me if I'm using the front end. These are all things that do not happen at Adobe, at, at WordPress, at Drupal. These aren't, none of these things are there. All of this is left up to the reader <laughs> to solve. So it's just this incredible ecosystem of tools. And then I would say also this componentization, uh, which, which uh, some people claim is, you know, Perfect, perfect, just like people claimed object-oriented programming would solve all, all data and, and, and API woes. Not true, but it does help. And, mm -hmm. and so I think those are really powerful ways that it's different developing in a React world than in other worlds. Yeah, I think absolutely. That's a really good point, Jason. I think we, or a lot of people in the WordPress community will have experienced this recently. So on our journey to Gutenberg, for those that were early adopters of Gutenberg, which is React-based in, in its sort of core components, the blocks that it builds, there weren't those build tools available. You know, in the early days, it was still evolving that there was, you know, a fast changing, breaking changes were being introduced constantly into Gutenberg. And I think a lot of WordPress developers were realizing just how much and how important those tools are 
for our efficiency, for our abilities to to iterate and to to program, you know, efficiently and successfully. So, I think we got a glimpse of of life without them. And so, thankfully, sort of Gutenberg has caught up in recent times, and so we've got those tools now within the WordPress React sort of ecosystem. And yes, hugely beneficial, hugely important. And equally, those that component mentality, which is again sort of proliferated down into our concepts of blocks and our atomic design sort of patterns within Gutenberg. As Matt sort of Matt Mullenweg told us to learn JavaScript deeply, and he was quite right because it's exactly what's happened. We've kind of changed our thought process from that, you know, single content editing window with tiny MCE that we had, you know, three, four, five years ago. You know, the huge leaps and bounds as a as a platform that we've gone on. Um, but you're quite right. It's a broader thing, as as Tim mentioned. You know, it's the it's it's a broader journey that the industry is on, and WordPress is going down one particular part of the journey. But as we're learning Gutenberg, and I'm sure talking a bit more about Gutenberg over the course of our time together, so we're sort of learning and introducing those technologies into our WordPress stack. And it's it's a wonderful time to be involved with WordPress at the moment because it is evolving in that direction. I think evolving into some of the things that you're talking about, Jason. You know, into that headless space, really experimenting, exploring how WordPress can work within and sort of you know, be part of that, that headless architecture. I think what's so exciting about this from a very broad level is that uh, really what I'm hearing you guys say is that a better UX for developers in the way that they can produce their work and their applications is going to lead to better UXs for the actual front-facing application that people use. And that's exciting. I think that's a really big deal because one of the things that I've seen over the last many, many years talking to companies and organizations is that they, they all come to the table wanting to plan their next web build as a long-term investment, something that they're going to have for a decade, hopefully. And one of the things that I think inhibits their effort in that a lot is stacking on technical debt because they'll build applications where their front-end visualizations are so closely tied to a back-end database that when they start thinking about the next version of their application, it's very hard to work with what they currently have almost without tearing down the house and starting fresh. And now that we're moving to a headless kind of movement, especially with WordPress, and you decouple those things, I think it actually gives organizations all the way down to developers so much more flexibility in how they can drive those front-end interfaces, just tapping into the data that needs to, to, to drive them um, without heavily investing in one direction that they may need to backtrack out of later. Um, and so my, my kind of expectation over the next at least five years is we will see the intricacies and the details in websites and applications um, just continually getting better and better and better, even more so than they currently are. I think it's a really good point, Ellis. And it's, it's where something like GraphQL is really exciting for this stack and thinking about this headless stack that you know, we're not having to make decisions now and creating APIs and endpoints and deciding the parameters today and not knowing where we're sort of traveling tomorrow and so having to re-engineer them at a later date. With GraphQL, we can sort of choose the data we're exposing and then we can change our requests at a later date. And so not having that full sort of program cycle where we're standing up the, the back end team, standing up the front end team, yeah, we can create that data exposure and then decide what data we need at a later date. So I think something like GraphQL, or indeed GraphQL itself, is a hugely exciting addition to this architecture, to this this approach. 
Yeah, GraphQL is really interesting and we're seeing a lot of interest in it and more people picking it up, but still it's not the majority of people doing it. I think people are still like figuring out that, oh, this is a good idea. And a few years ago, you might argue that technology is not mature enough yet for some uses, um, or at least you'd want to see more people using it before you, you pick it up. I think that's no longer a worry. So yeah, w, if, if you're not familiar with GraphQL, it's yet another API protocol. <laughs> um, and with REST, I think like many of us said, look, simple's better, especially at scale. And that is all true. Let's just say get is getting data, post is changing data and so forth. And uh, and let's just stick with stuff like JSON, maybe XML um, in the earlier days, but no longer. And, uh, and let's just keep it simple, readable and so forth. And I think that is a good idea. With GraphQL, the idea is, listen, yes, but we're doing the same kinds of things over and over again. And REST is giving us no help. There's no structure. And there's things that... As a developer community, we sort of agree are good. Like the reason TypeScript is used by a lot of people. And in fact, if you look at stuff like the Stack Overflow survey, it's way more people who love TypeScript than like JavaScript, even though it's almost the same, is because TypeScript adds static typing to JavaScript. And that is good, especially the larger the code base gets, the more people work on the code base, the better. Although I would argue it's, it's also important for a single person. So you look at your APIs and say, so do we have type safety in this API? And the answer, of course, is no. We just have J JSON flying around. Well, that makes it harder to use. And also, REST is good for CRUD, uh, retrieving, let's say, let's, let's just look only at reads. I'm going to go retrieve an object. But what does it mean to retrieve even a really simple web page? Well, first, what page is this URL referring to? That's a query. Oh, it's this post. Okay, great. Give me the post data. That's a second query. Oh, there's an author associated with this. I better get the author record so I can put their little face and description at the bottom. That's another query. Oh, there's comments. <laughs> Here comes a query. Oh, there's posts and tags. Okay, you get the you get the point. Rest on the one hand, it's simple. On the other hand, to assemble even a basic, really silly little page, even then it requires a lot of requests to get the data. Even though this is super common, and in fact. Like all kinds of pages, of course I want like a set of data, a particular set of data and data that's related, like the author that's related to the post, that kind of thing. So data has natural relations like that. We see that in databases, of course, with things like foreign keys, right? So GraphQL looks at all that and says, we can do, the, the API layer can do something about these things, type safety, structure of the data and retrieving all the data I want in one go, rather than having to do multiple passes, which will be much faster then with type safety, it'll also be much safer and easier to write that code and understand it. We can even do weird caching things where you cache bits of a, of a query depending on what's going on and so forth. Lots of interesting things happen. You can think about federation. Like we were just saying, with any website, you often are talking to multiple services to assemble a page. That's why there's so much JavaScript on the homepage usually is because it's associating lots of crap. With GraphQL, another concept is what does federation look like? So I could query across many different things and again, make that a little simpler on the front end. So GraphQL attacks these various things. It also has one last thing, which is neat, which is self-documentation, meaning not only is it types that's defined, but other documentation, you know, description written by the person who wrote about what it is and so forth, you know, doc. What that means is with any GraphQL implementation, there's these amazing uh, UIs for the web where you can like explore the whole schema and click around and see what the documentation is and even click to build a query. Like you don't even have to know the query language. You can just literally click check boxes that says, I want this, I want this field, I want this field. Run and you can see the query run. You can say, that's the query I want, paste it in your code. So because it's so self, uh, 
because it has this uh, metadata associated with it, you might say, as part of the protocol, it makes the developer experience actually delightful and a lot easier to use. These are the kinds of things that, of course, REST doesn't try to address the data inside, right? So I, I don't want to say it's a deficiency because it wasn't trying to do that. But the point is, if you do use a protocol that does try to do that, it, it, it is so much easier, better, safer, et cetera, to use it. So of course, like any like any technology, like well, but I have to learn it. <laughs> well, yes, but because of these tools and things, um, it's not as bad as it may sound. And the result is like, yeah, you know, you could imagine lots of applications where GraphQL is the wrong protocol, where that that isn't the right way to think about it, and so then you wouldn't use it. But for websites, where often the data is like chunks of content with other chunks of content associated with it, with some pretty standard fields that you know, or content models that you've built in the CMS. You know, like here's an event, an event has a title and a this and a that, like that, that's what I mean by content model. These are things where GraphQL is actually the perfect tool for the job for that kind of thing. So uh, it seems to me for a website, it's like, oh, these are exactly the kinds of things that a website developer needs. So therefore GraphQL is a good choice usually for a website, even if for some other application, of course, it may not be. Overall, we've talked a lot about advantages of some of the approach and what headless and, and the technologies are bringing to us. From a headless aspect, what what's some of the potential cons, the negatives of using headless? Is there applications where headless is not a correct solution? And, you know, just because it is the buzzword that's popular enough that it's starting to take shape and form, is it for everywhere? Is there any areas where headless may not be the right approach? Or is there an aspect to headless that is concerning to you guys from either side, publishing or uh, from the technology perspective, development perspective? I think, you know, what I'll be really interested to see over the next few years is what the advancement of headless means and does for entry level WordPress users who are kind of breaking into it and finding it as a passion. And I say that because that is my story. I literally stumbled upon it. I found WordPress, fell in love with it. The rest is history, right? But the reason I was able to learn it what got me to where I am today is the fact that it was so accessible. I could get my hands on it and I could play with it. And I did not have to be a programmer to do that. And I think that's both a blessing and a curse. And now that WordPress is headed in the strong, headless direction, you know, my hope and what I would love to see is companies like WP Engine making these tools all the more accessible and attainable for people who are still learning them and who aren't strong senior devs because that is what's going to keep WordPress alive. And if the future of WordPress lies with headless, I think that's going to be very, very important to keeping that community alive and healthy and 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 moving moving forward. I think you're absolutely right, Ellis. And I think, I mean, thinking about the the potential drawbacks, having spoken to large clients that have engaged with headless projects, they have talked in terms of buyer's remorse at times. Now these were fairly early adopters. And what they were concerned about is that they were essentially standing up two teams. And Jason, you've been talking a little bit about this, but that notion of the back and front. So we've got our, our CMS kind of data engineers creating our, our feeds and then our front end engineers, our JavaScript engineers that are ingesting those feeds and creating them into the, into the UI. And when you're maintaining and debugging issues that may be appearing over that architecture. You may need to stand up both teams, your back end team and your front end team. There might be different agencies, different groups that you're, you're dealing with. One might be internal, one might be external. And so you're sort of standing up both teams to try and debug where the problem is. And then once you've found the problem, maybe one team is standing down and the other is escalating. And so there's a 
difficult and challenging audit trail at times to try and sort of understand where the breakage is within the architecture. And it can have a big cost implication in terms of, you know, standing those teams up, getting those investigations done. So that was certainly one one of the buyer's remorse sort of concerns from somebody who'd been through a large headless project and shared with me recently. Yeah, that makes sense. There's no such thing as technology that's right for all situations, right? So certainly there are cases where it's not as useful. I think it, it is something that takes a technical team or person to do. Like React is not something that you just pick up as a like, well, you know, so but I, c- compared to WordPress, where a lot of people in WordPress started as, well, I was just an intelligent person with a website, and so I just learned enough PHP to be dangerous to move around some things I needed. Or I was a designer by trade. Just by learning enough PHP, enough markup, et cetera, I could uh, build entire websites um, instead of just designing them in Figma. And so that's extremely powerful. You can do that with something like WordPress because it's so accessible in that sense. And that's that's one of its great strengths. And I think one of the reasons why it's so popular, it's 40% of the web now, and I think that's part of why. React is not that way. You cannot just pick up React on the side if you're not a developer and you try to understand and just jump all the way into that. It's going to be very hard. So you have to say, I have a technical team or I have a technical person that's going to work on this. Now, the good news is there's all these benefits that only accrue when you use something that's that's more like computer science. Again, like we talked about in WordPress, yes, you can just fool around and do something. That has its own maintainability problems. <laughs> you upgrade and things break and you're like, well, I don't know, because all this stuff is custom and who knows? Um, or, um, hey, would you like to use this thing someone else made? Well, you, you're going to have to wire it up and you probably can't. So, you know, everything comes with its own trade-offs. But if you want those benefits of speed, of the IDE support, of the tool chain, of the um, of, of that community, et cetera, you do also have to write React code, <laughs> which is technical. So there, there are folks who are like that, trying to do that or maintain a team to do that is not practical or not a good use of their time. Also, super simple sites. Like sometimes you see people saying like, oh, you have a simple site that's mostly static and has six pages. You should use Gatsby so it's fast. And to me, it's like, but WordPress is exactly the same as long as it's behind a caching system like one that our company does or even a free Cloudflare probably is about the same speed and you don't have to have a whole nother layer and all this stuff. Like it just is fast. If your site's not doing anything, like it could be fast. So I think, you know, sometimes uh, people forget that a properly set up simple WordPress site is, is plenty fast, plenty scalable if, if you do a couple of things. And if you say, yeah, but Gatsby's fast anyway, it's like, yeah, but Gatsby's a lot harder or any any other tool <laughs> that you put in front is a lot harder than sim- setting up Cloudflare correctly. That's way easier <laughs> um, uh, or, or something like that. We're moving to a, a, like a company like ours or one of our competitors <laughs> because we do that for you. So it's like, right, like there's lots of easy ways to solve that other than changing out your whole web front end. So I think, I think those are examples where I'm not sure you're reaping a lot of the benefit that the costs mm-hmm. are providing. Absolutely. And I think one thing too that, listeners may want to hear about more and just really understanding, you know, what is Atlas's approach to headless? I mean, we, we briefly mentioned it earlier. We've talked through a lot of different areas, but how does Atlas approach headless in today's world? Yeah. So we, we saw a couple of problems that we, we thought we could help solve in, in our you know current position, our experience and our, you know, our platform experience and so forth. One is, is, is actually what Sean said just a minute ago, which is you have this problem of, all right, you, 
now that you're using the right technology for each job in a decoupled world, they interact and that's like a new thing to have to solve. <laughs> that interaction doesn't exist before. And even worse, those could be run by different vendors. Maybe you do have your CDN run by Netlify and you have your build run by Gatsby and you have your WordPress run by us, let's say. Um, but then so something goes wrong, like Sean was just saying, it's the site's slow or I don't know, whatever problem. You're having to figure this out and this is new and complicated and there's vendors to contact, that's much harder. I mean, it's hard enough when you own all the components, it's still hard, but like if you don't even you know, physically own the components, oh man. So one of the things we thought we could do with Atlas is say, wait a minute, we're already the world's experts in WordPress. We can run things like Node.js, which we do. We already have one of the best CDNs in the world because again, our existing platform runs tens of billions of requests per day through it. So it's really mature, well-worn, et cetera. We have most of these components already. So we could build a system where the components are decoupled so that you get the technical benefits of each one, but there's only one vendor. There's only one place to call when something, when you have that problem where, oh, I can't figure out what it is. Well, it is all in one place. And we of course are known for having great customer service. And so, okay, that's a better way to have the, the to manage the fact that now there's these decoupled components. So it's an example of something where Atlas brings something to the party <laughs> that solves a problem that exists. Another thing we look at is WordPress. So WordPress, of course, wasn't built for um, headless in the beginning. Uh, obviously, it was, it's 18 years old. Neither were any of the CMSs then. <laughs> Neither is Experience Manager, Drupal, et cetera. They had to morph that way, right? Yep. So WordPress can be great for headless, but it's out of the box. It's not made for that, of course. So there's some things like, oh, we've got to fix how links work and how media is served and how post previews work and oh some of these plugins don't work but some do and so what should we do there and there's just all these pieces that like oh wordpress can be good but you have to configure it that way or maybe add a, some some simple code to do that so we do that and that code by the way is all open source so mm -hmm. you don't have to buy anything from us to get that it's all gpl and open source it's on our website developers.wpengine.com so maybe that's not quite a plug because it's free, so that's, that's, that's not too bad. Um, so there's stuff on the WordPress side to do to make it feel better for Headless. Wonderful, wonderful. That's a great way that Atlas is really approaching the delivery of getting that into people's hands. And, and as you said, all these different platforms never were built with Headless in mind originally. And I think that it's also interesting to see the change in names of the category of, of just web content management systems to CMSs, just content management systems, not just web focus to, you know, digital experience platforms now today with all the different capabilities that all of these have. And I think that's where publishers can get excited. I'm going to kind of flip the, the script a little bit here. And then I want to talk a little bit about the future too of what we see, but from a publishing business side of it, the, the benefits of headless and, and both pros and cons too, is that you've got a, you know, opportunity to deliver from a single solution out to multiple channels and deliver in whatever flavor you want. And it's great because I can go and create my front end design to look however I need it. And I can pull in the content from a system through headless approach. And that can be for web content that can be for commerce and really let you build a store that's not limited by the e-commerce structure that was there in days of old. And I think that's where several of the projects we've been doing lately at AmericanEagle.com and uh, just publishing out headless commerce solutions has been great because we can center around the purity of the data and the information, but deliver it in multiple different ways on the front end because of that approach. And I just see that as a great future aspect because so many people now start their experience on devices, right, of mobile nature. 
and they're converting more on that device. But there's still this cross-device aspect, but then there's also other utilizations. And last year saw a large growth in, in, in kind of the shift back away from device usage with everyone kind of staying at home and being back on laptops and larger screens for the majority of their time. But a lot of people still are mobile focused. And with Headless, right, we can deliver out from a content hub into whatever channels we want apps, websites, digital marketing channels, intranets, uh, whatever that may be, kiosks at a store or a pickup opportunity at a retail organization. With the future of Headless, where do the three of you, I'm going to kind of let each of you kind of speak to this as we look to kind of wrap up our time together here, but from the future perspective of Headless, where do you want to see it go? Where do you think it's going to go? Or just What's this grand idea that you have of how Headless will really just benefit the developer and publishing community and it can be separate or both, whichever you prefer there? I'll take a stab at that first. I think what would be really interesting and exciting is to see Headless start to break down the barrier long-term between application, website, mobile app, right? I mean, we still kind of talk about these things as if they're totally different organisms. And and to be fair, they are. But I think the advancement of headless will start to break that down a little bit. And we'll start to see people building applications that essentially are like PWAs. You know, the idea is you can build it once and you can use it across any device or medium. And that is exciting to me because it really gets right back to the root of, of WordPress, right? In terms of just being an amazing communication tool and when people can communicate better, the world's a better place. And for me, that's the most exciting outlook for Headless. Thanks, Alice. Um, I think for me, I mean, as to where it's going to be in five years is a challenging question, Tim. I mean, it's an exciting journey. In two years I then, two. I'll give you two. <laughs> <laughs> so the area that I think is, is most exciting for me at the moment is really looking at what we're calling the Jamstack. So this is our JavaScript um, APIs and, and markup as we're looking at, you know, bringing in alternative services. And we've, we've talked a little bit about this, that, you know, as you create a decoupled front end, you can start to become platform agnostic, which is certainly one of the benefits that I might be WordPress today, or I might be Drupal today, and I might be WordPress tomorrow, I might be Sitecore. If I'm relying on a data model, then I'm entirely independent and entirely decoupled and so platform agnostic. It really doesn't matter where my source of data is coming from. So that's a really exciting direction, I think. And it's really drawing a lot of the larger organizations to this headless paradigm because there's the opportunity to start bringing together multiple sources of data. I'm not tied to a single monolithic CMS, I can use WordPress as part of my digital estate for my blogging platform, my fast news turnover platform, but still use Sitecore as part of my ecosystem. And they can all coexist if I've got a front end because I'm ingesting data from, from different places. And the second thing I'd say is, is around that similar idea, so that kind of monolithic CMS, that monolithic platform, kind of breaking that down, looking at microservices where you know, WordPress user management tool might not be right for all use cases, but WordPress is great for all the other requirements within a, the scope of the requirements of a, of a client, or indeed some of the other aspects of WordPress. And so that, that notion of starting to chunk away 
services within WordPress, not treating it as a homogenous whole, but starting to draw those away using microservices, you know, cloud and area for media and all sorts of other sort of these microservices, specialist services that we can use. And so still having something like WordPress at the beating heart, but Headless kind of allows us to start experimenting with this eco, broader ecosystem of specialist services. I think that's a really exciting journey we're on. Yeah, I definitely agree with with all three of those points. Clearly, WordPress is okay at media, but there's other systems that are better. And WordPress search isn't very good at all, but Algolia and Elastic are, and, and other things are amazing. And you could just go down the line like that. And on the one hand, there's a power in being able to just install one system and a few plugins and have some stuff. But that stuff can be 10 times better in other ways. And, and JavaScript world's an easier way to link all that together. And I definitely agree, too, about use the right tool for the job when it comes to the CMS. There isn't just one CMS to rule them all. And there shouldn't be. Again, like there's no such thing as technology that's good for all use cases. Mm-hmm. The thing that's great for the homepage of an inter- international company with 40 languages isn't necessarily the same tool used for a landing page that you want to do in an afternoon. Like those are probably not the same. And so with headless architectures, they don't need to be the same. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> like Using the right tools is probably better. And uh, yeah, that first point as well about uh, needing to have multiple faces or points of access for customers. I've got a mobile app, which also breaks down to multiple devices and things and the website and offline or kiosks or other things are all, often things I know with COVID, like that's fallen away a little bit, but that was actually gaining a lot of momentum pre-COVID. And I think we'll come back. The notion of when I'm in the store, and I'm doing stuff, the more the store knows about me or at the checkout counter or when I then go home and I get online. Um, it's very hard to link that. But if you do, magic happens. So while, while difficult, it's also, an, if, we're, if we're looking at five or 10 years, then we get to, we get to talk about difficult things becoming possible <laughs> um, and, and, and transforming the experience for the customer as well as for the business. So I agree with all those points. I think the last thing I would add is I think it's a transformation a similar to the mobile transformation that happened last decade. And to me, the mobile transformation, I'm referring to things like CSS had to dramatically change how it even works to support things like medias and breakpoints and stuff like that. All the front end frameworks had to change how they think about layout and pieces. So for example, no more tables. We need divs so they can be fluid, right? The tables don't work in that. So so like, we, I mean, remember in, in the 2000s and certainly in the 90s, it was all tables. And now, now, like, if you type the word table, it would be like, and maybe a data grid, okay? But other than that, <laughs> like, that's crazy talk. Um, so we completely changed. What tags do we use? How are things laid out? What does CSS need to do? What does HTML need to add? What do our design systems do? How do we need to test things? Dark mode's the latest thing. Mm-hmm. Now everything needs two themes, light, theme, <laughs> light and dark. Oh, God dang it. You know, like, <laughs> right? So uh, uh, location. There's no such thing as location when we have desktop systems. Even laptops, we never thought about having location in the browser. But now, yeah. now tons of sites use location to do things, right? Especially, well, yeah, tons, tons do. That becomes a new thing. And then what does it mean about how dynamic the site needs to be if it has to key off location? It totally changes how dynamic the site is. It's some kind of static brochure that you build with Gatsby or even a cache WordPress site makes no sense in a, in a world where you want to change depending on like what street they're on. Like, oh my gosh, that's a whole different paradigm. So mobile changed, I would argue, pretty much every way that we think about designing sites. We even invented this hamburger menu. What is that? It's the thing you need when you need to show that there's a menu and just tell people that in very few pixels. <laughs> so we <laughs> forced the world to understand this new thing that didn't exist before. So 
it comes in all these different ways, but I think that is, you know, you want to call it a revolution, I don't know, but it's a major transformation in every language and tool and paradigm of how a site is built because of the mobile device, form factor, location, etc. Okay, so to me, headless is a similar sized transformation. It will be a decade, just like mobile is a decade, and every single tool changes. The language changes, the frameworks change, as we just said, and they're better for certain reasons that we just said and how dynamic the site can be, how you can reuse the components, the kinds of effects and things that you can do, how you work on a whole team on a site and, and how those interactions happen, how you integrate 20 different things that you have to call with APIs. And I'm not exaggerating. On our homepage at WP Engine, we have 26 different vendors, JavaScript on our homepage. It's not an exaggeration to say there's two dozen things you have to integrate with to make a modern website. Right, and that's that's actually true. So things that are highly integrated, lots of things, which is complicated. Obviously, it's, it's nothing simple about integrating with lots of stuff. And technology doesn't magically make integration easy, right? That's 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 always hard. But that's where we're going. So I think next decade is how do you integrate with a ton of stuff? How do you work on the team? How do you make complex code bases um, at least manageable, if not if not great? The things that you that the other points that you guys made about you know different pieces and bringing that in. But what those same technologies, again, changing what CSS is, changing what HTML is, changing the roles of those things because now React has a lot of these roles rather than those other markups. The markups are almost like the implementation language as opposed to the language you write first. That's really interesting. Like that will change things. So can I predict exactly what those changes will be and when? Of course not, <laughs> right? But but I think the, the fact that it's all that it's this new tech and these new trade-offs, because some are benefits and some are not, as we said, right? Mm -hmm. They're trade-offs. But I think these new trade-offs will result in uh, these brand new developer experience, publisher experience, and, and end user experience too. And uh, that's amazing. So, so while I don't know every detail, I do think it's that size of a revolution or that size of transformation. And so what do you do when, when the future is uncertain, but, but going in that direction? And the answer to me is, okay, well then you get going on that train. You get on that train, mm -hmm. you start learning some of these technologies, you start building some of those things. Yes, maybe you do build a five page site with this to learn the technology, not necessarily because it's the absolute best tool for the job in that case, but, but hey, it, it lets us learn, it lets us start building those component libraries. And I think, I think you get on the train and you start developing that expertise so that as the things evolve, you know, you are evolving with it, whether you meaning an organization that's wanting to be part of the next decade of the web, or just as an individual developer mm -hmm. saying like, I want to be on the train where, you know, I'm going to be doing interesting things for the next five year, 10 years in my career. Like I want to get on that right train. I think this is the right train to get on. Um, now, of course, that's all a bet, you know, mm -hmm. none of us can see the future perfectly. <laughs> it's a bet, but I think that's what the trends are, are saying. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, just wonderful conversation again today. I can't thank all three of you enough for the time and, and this discussion. I think this is a discussion that's going to continue on, right? And we'll have to look for future episodes to include more of it. But absolutely, I love how you wrapped it up, Jason. Just It's the right train to get on right now. It's, it's definitely where there's a lot of opportunity, both as an organization, but especially as an individual and just really learning what's there. And I remember back in the late uh, 1990s, uh, just trying to spin up the local host and everything on your machine to you know, develop websites was a challenge in itself. And today it's to your point, you click a button, it's downloading all the packages and everything you need from the internet just to get that ability to that speed of learning today. And I think that's just one of the incredible things that's out there. So definitely encourage everyone listening, you know, on the developer side, go out, 
uh, check out some of the Headless Approach, React we talked about. There's definitely different variations of everything, but uh, there's a lot to learn there. Um, but we do want to thank everyone uh, for being on the show today. Uh, Jason Cohen, uh, WordPress Engine founder and CTO, Sean Blakely, and Ellis LeMay from AmericanEagle.com, WordPress team leads. And really just, again, this podcast, Lessons for Tomorrow, we're always going to center around conversations between these industry experts like these gentlemen sharing insights from the past to apply in the present to achieve success in the future. Uh, stay tuned for more as we have more episodes and definitely going to need some follow-ups on Headless. Uh, it's just such a big topic to unpack and, and try and keep to you know the normal podcast length. So, gentlemen, thank you all for the time today. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.